0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And I'm delighted to have on today's show... Henry Ricciatelli, CEO of Next Marketing, and Hugh Massey, CEO of DNA Behavior International, and also President-elect and President of EO in Atlanta, which is a CEO peer group. And great to have you on the show, guys. Thank you very much. Welcome to here. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, yeah. So I always start the show off by asking my CEO guests, what are trends in your industry or area of expertise that you think are really important for other middle market CEOs to know. So I'll toss that question over to you, Hugh. What do you think, in, uh, in Hugh, uh, is really important in terms of behavioral finance that other CEOs should know about?
2: So the area I work a lot in is in financial services, banks, and insurance companies. And a big hot topic right now is client engagement and it's not just about the initial connection and having a warm, fuzzy meeting with the client, but it's also about how do you continuously keep the clients engaged. And so that's meaning that technology is playing a greater role, um, providing ideas, solutions where where your clients can keep on coming back and stay with your brand. And I'm seeing that's not just applicable in financial services, but that's out there for a lot of other businesses that want to build long-term intimate relationships with their clients.
1: So... Just back up a little bit and tell us what what is behavioral finance and this this area that you plan.
2: Behavioral finance is a is a new area and an emerging area in uh, fin- in the financial services arena. It, it really came st- it first originated probably in the nineteen sixties with uh, some pioneering research on how um, uh, markets move and looking at. Uh, the behavior of investors and it's really right up till very recently it's just been thought leadership and it became famous in 2002 when a professor got a Nobel Prize for his work in that area and but what I started to do in 1999 onwards is turning that research into actually uh, being measured insights on the human being into a technology platform and operationalizing behavioral finance to a level where it can be used across every department of uh, a financial institution or really any business
1: right so i guess the basic theory is that money makes people act crazy and (laughs) makes people a little bit batty and so you want to study and try to make sure that people who are dealing with money are acting at least somewhat
2: rationally right every human being is irrational but what 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 you can do is predict what their irrationality is going to be at any point in time and that's what we do And make that operational for someone to know how someone will be irrational in certain circumstances and then know how to communicate and relate to them, reframe the information so that they actually then make a more rational decision.
1: And is this true in your experience both for the financial advisors who are supposedly more educated and supposedly more disciplined and have been in the field for a while and their clients who they're serving? So you, you know, deal with the financial services and is your work applicable both to the people providing the service as well as the customers that they're engaging, engaging with?
2: Great question. You've been doing a lot of reading. Um, we often think of this just as the investor, but actually a bigger part of the equation really is the advisor because the investor eats the behavior of the, of the uh, advisor. And so the advisors face exactly the same biases that the clients do in those same circumstances. And, and the big blind spot out there in the industry is they don't, they're, they're not aware of that they, and they don't own up to that. And so what a lot of what we do is help educate the advisors to be aware of their own biases so that they will then handle the clients better.
1: So what are the most important biases that you're seeing that really um, may, distort people's behavior when they're dealing with money?
2: So there's one that's uh, quite well known out there. For example, people follow the herd. So you go to a dinner party and you see somebody else is making money, and you jump in and do the you jump in and do the deal. Um, and, and there's certain ty- Everyone will do that, but some people will do that more than others. And so it's it's understanding uh, that it's others want to want to be want to be seen. Uh, you know, for, m- for me personally, I look at my portfolio more from taking a consolidated view. So I'm just looking at it, if I made an overall percentage rate of return, and if I have, then does it really matter uh, how I made it? But there could be nine dud decisions inside getting to that rate of return, and so why should there be nine dud decisions? Um, other people overtrade their account, others just follow fixed inde- indexes, Um and then the other big one that is 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 a what's called loss aversion, and people are, uh, you know, more averse to losses than they should be, and they don't want to take that loss, and they hang on to the loser, and then they sell their winners. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're all different, all different biases that each of us have to some degree, but we have some of them that are stronger than others in in, in each of us.
1: And so, is some of what you do kind of get down into the individual level and? measure individual biases for individual people?
2: So we measure it for every individual person, and that's then data that would sit inside, for example, with a bank that would sit inside their uh, CRM systems, their financial planning, wealth management systems, and even right down into their compliance management systems now so that the banks actually know what the suitability of the transactions being provided to that individual client. So it is very individual.
1: Mm. And... um as you think about applying this to an individual person, do you then uh, coach the person around or how is the information used? So I find out that I I am disproportionately loss averse. How is that information used? So our systems
2: will provide some of that coaching and uh, we've got some online tools like we built a tool called the Market Mood, which provides people with real-time feedback on how they might be feeling emotionally about the stock market when it's gone up or down uh, or their portfolio. But then also the the uh, the wealth managers, the advisors are trained in in how to have that coaching discussion with the client to elicit out those feelings and get them to move to the right place.
1: Great. So, Henry, you also deal with experiences, right? So um, he was talking a little bit about client engagement and things like that. And that's, you know, your your world. So tell us a little bit about trends that you think are important for CEOs to be aware of in terms of um, experiential marketing and, and engaging people.
0: We work in a, in a place where we help brands engage with consumers and allow them to try, taste, feel, live, understand, so that brands can make can engage with them, so they can make decisions for hopefully leading to a purchase or an action of some type. Uh, so the trends that we're seeing, first of all, the ex- experiential marketing space is the fastest growing sector in the marketing space today. So it, it is clearly the leader. It's a proven proven environment. It's an improved environment because we allow brands to create capture data, which is also important in today's world. We live in this data driven world for decisions. Uh, We allow consumers to take action and have social sharing. So, I've done something, I want to post it on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram and tell my story. So, find it exciting. It creates a platform of gamification. So, some way to play, uh, for example, Uh, The United States Air Force, which is our single largest client, we handle all of their recruiting. So in the recruiting environment, their target is to draw in 18 to 25-year-olds to fill the positions that are not the pilots. So in that environment, we create traveling experiences, tractor-trailers, trucks, different things that we set up that allow consumers to engage at air shows, high schools, uh, Super Bowls, various sporting events. And in that environment, we create ways for this target demo to, first of all, when they join the experience, they will be given an RFID tag. Mm. So, everywhere they go in this experience, we will know their interaction. So, if you are drawn to a mechanic display that about how they fix an F-16 or or something of the like, we have a propensity to know that individual is more likely to be targeted towards the mechanic versus the guy that's going to be the infantryman or, or a different service. So, we are able to follow them through the experience we watch their interactions with different displays whether it's an rfid display through oculus goggles and in a a virtual reality experience we watch them in a a test of of, uh, strength that you compete against a different airman Uh, we watch them in a uh, in an environment where there's actually another area where there's a series of 30 different um, uh, ipads and based on the iPads that they pull or the different jobs that are available in the Air Force. And they will know what they interact with. So we're able to track all this data as part of that, that gamification. So they play different games that are part of this display. They look for their ability to have situational awareness. So their ability to be quick to, to deal with mm. uh, answers to questions, so a variety of different things. Um, we also, but anyway, back to the, the, the whole the whole experience uh, of, of the uh, ex- experiential marketing. We're we're able to engage consumers in meaningful ways that allow brands to engage and and direct a embodiment of a brand that allows the consumer to make a decision to to drive to purchase drive to action.
1: So, is in its highest um, at the highest level, experiential marketing is about giving people an experience or an, a physical interaction with the brand and with the product.
0: It, that is correct. We, but it works on all levels, business to consumer, business to employee, business to business. And we are able to take in whether it's an event of a principal financial, where they're doing training with brokers, they're mm. creating events and golf tournaments where we create, a world where not just is about playing golf, but about learning about products. And and, and as in Hugh says, about dealing with different environments of safety and, and planning and, and retirement and allowing people to understand that. And we use golf metaphors to do that uh, through training and education and playing the actual round of golf. Uh, in the case of community coffee, we're in retail uh, sampling coffee and giving away coupons so people can have trial because we're convinced, as is community coffee, when you learn about the history of the brand, and the family connection, and actually taste the product, you're more likely to take it home and buy it. And we've proven that over and over through our data. Uh, we show that through CDW, which is a business platform, the largest technology reseller in the world. And with CDW, we're entertaining government agencies, education, uh, universities, and businesses in a traveling show that has a data center basically on wheels, but we also use it as a tailgate platform. So we take it to Super Bowls, we go to college football games, we go to universities, we go to corporate campuses. So every way where we're bringing the consumer to the experience and we're talking about the leadership that they have in technology. So we're able to create an environment everywhere and anywhere to allow consumers to interact either with a service or a product or do something for an employee to make them proud of the brand. Hmm.
1: And you said that experiential marketing is the fastest segment uh, growing segment in the whole marketing mix right now. Correct. Uh, what do you expect will, will happen over time? And, you know, uh, how is it, which, which uh, marketing tactics is it taking the most share from?
0: Well, I think the oldest form of that everyone's aware of is advertising. And advertising, mm-hmm. obviously, is so fragmented. It's, the game's changed. When we grew up, there was, there was four state, or three channels. And everybody watched those three stations, and it covered the country. Well, now it's a selection, it's a choice. So it's so fragmented. It's been the it still has a large spend, but it's 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 broken into segments. So what's happening is, I mean, obviously everybody's aware of digital. Digital is massive, but experiential includes digital. So what we do is everything we do experientially through the social sharing, through the digital communication, to the Twitter feeds, links to our events. So we're all sort of we're all sort of combined, to be honest with you. There's a place for every segment. It just so happens to be that experiential, which includes sports, events, mobile tours, channel marketing, is impactful. And therefore, you'll have $600 billion spent in the segment this year. Hmm.
1: And is is experiential marketing only relevant or best relevant for uh, industries or products or services that have some sort of a physical component? Like I can imagine that the Air Force would lend itself very well or you know, sports or maybe something that you're going to eat like the coffee or consume like the coffee. But what about services like medicine or banking or, you know, accounting or whatever?
0: Well, remember, this is about education. So, we create what we are hired to do is to understand the strategy and how to connect with consumers and allow brands to be able to do that and refine that. So, our role is to create an educational platform. So, I've actually... More than half of our clients don't actually have a physical product. It's a service. Mm -hmm. So you're looking to create and build an awareness for what it is that the brand represents, how that affects the person's lifestyle that you're touching, and then create a connection to them through that that engagement. And then they then begin to believe in the brand and what its values are. And so it's through video content, it's through actual engagements, experiences, through content boards, it's through talking to representatives that are experts in the space. It's letting them understand what that, bo- what that brand embodies. And then through that, they then create a connection. Mm, great.
1: Well, thank you both for uh, sharing the, the trends in your industry. Uh, I'm going to actually turn the conversation now to um, how you guys know each other. So I met Henry and Henry, you invited you to be on the show with you and you guys are um Hugh's the president, and Henry, you're the president-elect of, of EO, which is a peer group, a, a CEO peer group in Atlanta. So tell me a little bit about your interactions with EO and how you know each other and how you guys are supporting each other and being successful in your businesses.
0: Well, Hugh and I are part of Entrepreneur's organization, as you said. It's a, it's a membership-led organization. Uh, we are, Hugh is the standing president of EO Atlanta. And I am the president-elect, as you said. And we basically, uh, we are a peer group of entrepreneurs of companies who own businesses that are a million dollars or more in revenue. I think our largest Atlanta-based business is uh, close to a billion dollars, and our smallest, of course, is is a million dollars. And we uh, we both been members for over 10 years. I think Hugh's even longer. He's- 15 years. Wow. And we um, and so we 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 put our hands up at some point in time and agreed to to run for the for the office and lead the organization for both in one-year terms, you?
2: Yes, so, Yeah, so I've been in EO 15 years, and I'm doing my turn this year as president. I've been on the board for a few years, and it's, it, it's, I think it's a way of being in the leadership position is a way of, of giving back, but it's also being a role model to, to others. You know, I'm, I'm being transparent 50 years old, and Henry's around my age as well, Part of it is be a role model, <laughs> role model to others, and, and he called
1: you, Henry, and
2: and, and I'm older. <laughs> He looks younger though. Uh, um, but but to show others how it's done, and you know there's a there's a, and and show them what leadership is about, and and it's about being is about coming from the front, um, supporting people, creating a community, great relationships, a, and um, an environment that people want to be part of as a business leader to come and. Uh, uh, trust others and open up and share. And that's, that's really what I'm working on creating and, and sitting there s- working side by side with Henry to do that and create you know, the processes so that it really does become uh, the center of uh, entrepreneurial leadership in Atlanta.
0: Mm. And from our perspective too, understanding EO, EO is a learning organization. So we're about learning and education. So we set the agenda as leaders, our boards, and to what content we're going to present to the members throughout the year. And it's important to us to, to have speakers, tracks that allow us individually to grow and to give so much back to the community.
1: Tell, tell us a little bit about the EO chapter in Atlanta a little bit more. How many members do you have? And you mentioned the span of the size of companies. Do you have a median or average um, or kind of like, you know, what a typical, more typical member looks like?
2: So we have currently 135 members, and this year, we'll because we've got a, a good marketing campaign and we're getting good sign-ups, we'll probably end up at around 145 to 150 members by, by June next year. The average size of the businesses uh, is 8 million. Um, that's when you take into account we've got a lot between one and five, but then we've got some bigger ones. And you know we've got businesses in there at 20 million, 50 million, as Henry said. A billion dollars, and we've got some of the members. That, that
1: would probably skew the average just a tad. It
2: does skew it, um, <laughs> but of course it would that,
1: be called an outlier.
2: That's what. But they're the businesses that we know about. We've got we've got some members who have got four of those businesses um, as well. So we only hear about one of those businesses, you know. So uh, you've 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 got you've got people there that are doing some pretty interesting things. They're they're real players in the in in in, in the community, and you've got some that. You know, like me and Henry, have been doing this ten or more years, and and of course that means we've been in business quite a while longer. And then you've got others who are at, at, at the start of that journey, mm. uh, and you've got a real mixture of businesses.
1: Tell me a little about the culture of EO. You know, versus maybe some of the other peer groups in the Atlanta area. And has everybody founded their company?
0: It's yeah. To be part of EO, you must be a founder and managing partner of the business. Uh, the culture is interesting. It's it's. Um, I am inspired by it because when I first joined, I was, I was, it was I'm was, i going back 12 years, so I was eight years into my business, and I had a lot to learn, and it gave me great footing to understand that and grow the business. Uh, in fact, it's helped me take my company to Inc. 5,000 uh, six different times since I've been part of EO, and you have the resource available to you and it's, it's a sharing group. So everybody cares about everybody's success and you you're amongst your competitors, you're amongst your, your peers, you're amongst people that you just learned so much from that have been there have failed, have succeeded, have, have grown. Uh, and, and it allows you to, to ask the right questions through different formats through the chapter as a whole. And then within the chapter is called forum. Forum is a peer group of in ours, in case it's eight, eight members. And we've been together for, over ten years since I joined EO. And it's my unofficial board. It's a group that I go to with my presentations once every couple of months when I have a challenge and I present my case. And by presenting it, I actually have it half solved because I've already thought it through to be able to present it. But then they give me guidance not in the sense of advice, but in the sense of what their their experience has been. So I this I did this and this is what I did in this situation to fix it. It's not my situation, but I can pull from all of their resources to allow me to come to the right conclusion. So that's the culture. It's a giving, sharing, caring, but it's also fiercely competitive because you, and you want to be the guy that's the top of the heap. So it gives you a great environment of peers to compete against in a in, a, in, a, in different way.
2: And I, I would add to what Henry said in that it's about entrepreneurial thinking, and an entrepreneurial thinker, a person who started their own business, rubbed two sticks together, created a fire, and made it work, is very different to a hired gun. And all of the other types of organisations uh, that y- that you can that people could go to uh, as a CEO are more for the hired gun. And they you know they might be 38 years old and they became the CEO of uh, an organisation that was already at 10 million or 20 million or 50 million dollars. Well, that's a very different human being to someone who started their, their own business, took the risks, innovated. And so we're around people like us who are those innovative thinkers, the risk takers who are going to, as we grow our business, put it on the line time and time again, whereas when you're the hired gun for somebody else, you don't do that. And it's a, you know, it's a different phase of business and it's a different type of thinking.
0: And the other thing about EO that we haven't talked about is we are a global organization. There's 12,000 worldwide members. So mm-hmm. if I travel, as I do for my business, I can drop myself down in Shanghai or, or or, Japan, some city in Japan or Europe, and there's a chapter. And I can actually reach out through a database to anybody in the chapter. I can have meetings. I can have introductions. I, can, I can't I can solicit. Solicit is, is not allowed, but I can use that organization to reach out to the world and have connections, and it's a very, very powerful group. Mm.
1: One of the things that I'm very curious about with EO is you guys used to have an age cutoff, right? You used to have to get to a million dollars by forty. Um, when did that change, and why? And I'm assuming that's not just the Atlanta chapter. What's the philosophy behind why you why that change?
2: It changed probably ten or twelve years ago because mm-hmm. it, it was called YEO, and then it, and then it did the flip to EO. And that is because uh,
1: some people like late are late bloomers like me.
2: <laughs> there are people who are late bloomers, and you know there are people who start their businesses later in life and uh, cross that 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 mark. And also it was to grow the organisation, but also it was about uh, keeping people in, and not just you know where do you go if you hit if you hit forty? There's, then they are go. They'll sort of almost getting pushed out. So it's a matter of um, keeping. The broader flock in there, and recognizing you've got different age groups, and uh, I think it's good that you've got fifty-year-olds uh, working with thirty-year-olds. I learned from the thirty-year-olds, particularly in the technology uh, area, and they get wisdom off uh, an older bloke. And so I think that's part of uh, what you know why it changed, um, you know, in, in that in that move.
0: And there's also a, a new book out by Vern Harnish, who's the founder of EO called Scaling Up, and he calls out in the book that the reality is is that a lot of businesses don't actually explode until their 20, 25th year. You look at Starbucks, look at Apple, a number of companies, they were basically small businesses, relatively speaking, up until their 25th year then they expanded. So why push a a, a founder, an owner, a businessman out when his best years are his latest years. So we can learn from each other. So I think that the, the transition is a good one. It obviously serves me very well being <laughs> being one of the older guys in the chapter. But, uh, you know, we have a ton of energy we can share and learn. And I I get energy from the young guys. I think the young guys get energy from from guys like us because we can we can show them the path.
1: Mm. Uh, so does your forum well get new people or do you is it just the same
0: people the goal is to keep the members in your forum, but uh, by virtue of guys, business who were sold, guys have transferred to different markets, you lose members. And so you, we have had, I think six core members of the forum of our eight and two, two of our members are new. We've been as many as nine. And there's also cases sometimes where a member, you've got to ha- ask to leave for purposes and things that happen in life. Uh, but, but, but forums goals are to stay stable, but there are some guys in EO that have been in seven, eight forums that just move around, and, and and it's just it's a choice. But I think the greatest value for me is consistency. How do you choose the people who the new people that come into your forum? Uh,
2: yeah, the for, the forum process is generally speaking, when when people come to EO, they get trained when. So we do a quarterly intake and they get, there's a group that will get trained. So like this quarter, there will be eight people that get trained. And because of the exercises that you do in that training, there is a natural uh, sort of chemistry that gets built out of doing those exercises in a bond that often they want to go to a forum together. But we don't make that mandatory. And, you know, Henry's testament to the fact that he spent 18 months, of his first 18 months in EO going, going around all the forums to see who he wanted to be with, which is a good ch- opportunity to meet everybody. And and I would absolutely encourage that. But I think it's important that you get in a forum early, even if you even if you change. Um, the forum training is very important, and this is a key thing that we do in EO, and it's sort of the pillar of it, is this uh, concept of gestalt language and understanding what that is. And we were talking before about, you know, CEOs don't want to be told what to do, but they will listen to experiences. And the gestalt. Uh, language protocol really is about experience shares. If you don't have an experience, don't say anything. Uh, if you do, then you share it and tell it as a story and how it relates to you. And others will buy into that and we'll, we'll take that feedback. So that's that's a very important part. So you know, in in, in choosing the forum, it's around the fact that you've got to be people that you've you got to be in there with people that you're going to spend a lot of time with. You're going to be you, you want to be inspired by them. You want to do things with them. Uh, so there's a big time investment. Uh, So getting to know them is, uh, you know, an important part of it.
0: Yeah, and part of the selection as well is, you know, forums post their kind of their culture. Your culture is... You know, we're 100% business growth, we're half business social, we're married, we're single, we're kids, no kids. And you want to align yourself. First of all, it's non-competing businesses, so that's the first delineation. And then beyond that, it's really about finding the cultural business fit. And then once you do, as as Hugh said, my best friends in the world are in my forum. They're the guys that know the most about me. They're, they know my good, my bad, my problems, my, my life. They've helped me through problems. I've helped them through problems that are very personal. So it becomes a very close, trusted circle. And that's what drives the culture and also drives that, you know, we, we care for each other's businesses and success. So you want to pick them up and push them forward through the worst of times and the best of times.
1: So let's talk about your, your interactions with each other. We have the, you know, president and president-elect. Um, how are you looking at that transition in leadership while you're both running you know large significant growing businesses you're running a volunteer organization which you know at times can be challenging. Um, you know Hugh, you have your perspective on how to run run eO Henry, you have your perspective how does how are you guys making that work?
2: So far, I believe very well and um, you know, the, the, I think the first thing is that when you step up to to be president of EO, it's a commitment you make and you've got to do it come hell or high water. And I know I am responsible for it and I, want, I don't want to be remembered for doing a bad job with it. Um, so I have, you know, pride in, in myself. But I also believe that uh, because the EO has one-year transitions of, of the board, and I think that's, that's also uh, a, a good idea, that... For the organization to become strong and, and to, to get to the next level of growth, it needs to have processes. You know, like any business that starts, you, you just get out there and you get you get clients in, you lose them, you you learn what to do. But it comes a point where you've got to build processes and it's got to become uh, stable in terms of how it's run internally. And so, you know, one of the things that I've done is really since I became president, I knew Henry was president-elect and we didn't know each other as well as we do now, was reached out to him and has involved him in every decision. At the end of the day, and Henry's been good to say, you know, this is my thoughts and I make the decision, but we've been very collegial about it because I want to leave the chapter in good place so that he can actually be the one that gets it to the next level um, you know, I think it's come up some steps with 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 me, and uh, and it was on the way up when when I took it over. Uh, but I think Henry can take it really take it to the next level, and and it's about but us sharing so that he knows he doesn't have to go and reinvent the wheel.
0: I would agree with everything Hugh said. We you know we first of all it's the hardest job you'll ever have as leading volunteers and leading a, leaders.
1: Leading a bunch of CEOs? Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it's really a tough <laughs> job. You know, we
0: all, we are pretty passionate, but but to Hugh's credit in his point, we were, we've known each other for years. We've never been that close and enormous respect for the man since we started working together and, and his approach and, and and my willing to learn and, and see what he's doing and see how the boards run and also to have the same passion to to. To take EO to another level, to leave it in good hands, and not be the, the leader that failed, because we can look back over the last twelve years and see leaders that didn't do as good of a job as they could have. And so, we collectively want to put processes in place, and we 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 share the same vision for where EO needs to go and where it is. So it's been a great it's been a great relationship. I've learned from him. Hopefully, he's learned from me. Uh, and hopefully, the board. I think the board. The, our our board selected members. And the different committees have have seen us as leaders, and we'll hopefully carry that forward as well.
2: I was going to say, I think having somebody close to you as you are, uh, like a partner, really, um, in in leading it it makes you better because it makes you a little bit more accountable, a bit more responsible, stay focused, and, you know, Henry's all of those things. So, I think it's made it a lot stronger. And, you know, you are, what, what we realize is it's not our own businesses, though. This is the one thing. So, Yes, we're somewhat calling the shots, but we're not. We've got to empower other innovative, strong leaders to do their things. And and you know, I've seen in a couple of areas where I've let I've let uh, people do things, and it hasn't completely worked out. And they need then a little bit of help and guidance to to clean it up and and get it to the next level. So you've got to allow people to innovate along the way. You've got to guide them, uh, let them take responsibility, but at the end of the day, you've got to sort of stand behind that as well. And uh, and, and make sure it all works.
1: Just want to back up a little bit. Tell me what a, a typical EO meeting looks like. At which level? Uh, the for, like a forum meeting, right?
0: Yeah, forum. Forum. We meet uh, once a month, uh, ten times a year, and the uh, we will. It's a set time. It's a third Tuesday every every month for our forum. But that's elected by the by each forum. they by their constitution. And we will start with a we call a one word opener, so basically the one word of how you're feeling, you know, excited, depressed, challenged, busy, whatever that is. And the uh, then we have a we call it an update where everybody gives a five minute update of what's going on with their life, business, personal, and family in five minutes. And then you will then, therefore, stay connected with everybody on a personal level and their businesses as a whole. From the updates, we take away, what is a, we call a parking lot item or a presentation topic. So if someone mentions something that's very challenging, we'll put that on the on the agenda as something that needs to be addressed to the forum as a, as a presentation. We will then have be the one presentation, uh, which will, somebody will present a business case and they have a coach from the forum. So they will be coach leading into it. The coach will open it up with a uh, tabling the topic and what it's about, and what he hopes that the person hopes to achieve from it. And then the presenter will present through either a series of slides or handouts, whatever the presentation content material is. And then we will then have a round of questioning. Once it's completed, it's about a 10-minute presentation, a round of questioning. And then we will um, do a round of of, what we call experience sharing, which is, the I was in a situation and I did this. And then the in our form, it's a little bit different. We've been together for so long, and he was going to r- roll his eyes at this one. But uh, <laughs> yeah. we we basically then give the presenter a choice to continue with Gestalt or to actually get our opinions. Okay. And so we, in our form, I'd say ninety percent of the times, go, okay, give us your opinion, and then because we're so close, we trust each other. There's no personal uh, offense. Right. And then then we close the meeting with agendas and business topics and issues, and then we roll forward. And then in closing, twice a year.
1: Uh, that takes all day is that all day
0: no it's like a three-hour meeting okay and then we all go to dinner and then twice a year two months out of the year we have a we call a drive away retreat which is a somewhere within two to three hour drive and we do a two-day retreat and then we do a fly away and this year for our forum we're going to columbia and we're going first to uh, cartagena and bogota to experience the city meet with some businesses tour some companies uh, do our meetings typical presentations and it's a bit deeper, emergent experience. We've been to Argentina. We've been to uh, Europe. We, we travel the world. It's, qu- it's quite fascinating.
1: Great. And is your meeting pretty much the same?
2: Ours is very similar. It's same, same structure as Henry. It's four hours. Uh, we have two presenters. We do updates. Um, we follow the gestalt, but we will ask for opinions as well. I think it's it's important to do that, when, you know, if you feel comfortable. That's the presenter's choice. But we do keep it very structured. One thing is we've learned that if you fall outside the structure, particularly with entrepreneurial leaders, then it becomes a shambles <laughs> uh, pretty quickly. So we've learned the structure. We do the same thing as Henry in terms of a, a drive-away retreat. So ours is coming up in January to Chattanooga. And then uh, we're going out to, um, in June next year, we're going, you know, for a five-day whitewater rafting trip out in the back of Montana, um, so you know you go and do the, all of those experiential things as well.
1: Hmm. So switching back to your leadership of of EO, what what is your mandate? I mean, what are you trying to accomplish with with your year? And Henry, I don't know if you have different or similar goals, but I would love to know what it is that you want to accomplish.
2: For me, I wanted to accomplish positioning the chapter to be to renew at one hundred and fifty members. In the chapters, because I know that sort of, a little bit scientifically, if you have a community of 150 people, it becomes very powerful, very strong. It still can be intimate, but it's not too big. And, and I want the chapter highly engaged where the people are or the members are interacting with each other outside their forum and, you know, in terms of lots of activities and touch points. And I feel if we have that, then we have a very strong, uh, sustainable uh, organization that, that, that can do a lot, but it's but it's not too big. And the other side is I would like to see the members the CEOs be better leaders of their companies because if they're better leaders of their companies the companies will grow and be more profitable and they will have a better life with it as well.
1: What does be- being a better leader mean to you?
2: Yeah so the you know being a better leader is is one is that you know the, the capability is having the, the the clarity about where you're going um, you know being able to 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 Convert that that clarity into an execution-based business plan. Having the right leadership team inside your business to to execute that for you. Having the right uh, people management skills, uh, where you're trusted by your team. And so you create a, a a true business with with the right processes to uh, to operationally grow around you. Um, you know, with you out with you out the front. Uh, cheerleading that business—that—that that to me is, you know, what it's all about. So it's in part is as a business planning, an operational side to it. But there's also a human capital management uh, side to it, where you know we as um, entrepreneurial leaders will tend to be very results-based uh, people, which might mean we're a little bit light on the relationship side. And we've got, our challenge is we've got to learn the relationship side if we're going to if we're going to get our business beyond 20 or 30 people. You need to learn those skills because otherwise everyone's going to run away from you.
1: Right, right. So as a strategist, I'm very interested in the the planning and the strategic part. So, I mean, in your experience, what percentage of the CEOs that you're interacting with do you think actually have a strategic plan? In um, Henry's chuckling.
2: In our forum, we do one thing. This is something where we're a little bit different. We, we've all uh, built our business plans based on a concept called Traction. There's a book out there by uh, Gino Wickman and we all have our uh, one-page VTO EOS plan and that's what we present in our forum. Uh, Every meeting we use that as part of our updates and then once a year we actually go through that in our sort of drive-away mini-retreat where we go through all the numbers inside there. Um, And so we found that to be a good process in getting everybody to condense down what they're doing, and and provide a framework. And we do that inside our company, you know, and I have a a COO there and she runs the level 10 meetings and puts it all together and, uh, you know, facilitates all of that because whilst I'm the visionary and got the ideas uh, and I know how to do those things, I don't want to, I don't want to have to run that day in, day out. So she does that.
0: Great. Henry, you were, you were chuckling about that. Why are you snickering? I'm going back to the first question, but no, but the, uh, you know, we have a thing in Neo, we say we want to be the people working on our business, not in our businesses. That's our goal because you want someone, you want to have a business that can run without you that then you can work on growing, structuring and reaching outward, which I think is very powerful. But, you know, the whole thing about a business plan, you know, we're all guilty, I think, of we get running so hard and so fast and things happen so quickly. And when you have success the question is how much planning goes into that success and, and I, I'm probably one of the worst because I want to uh, you know we have a plan but it's a very loose plan and, and, and it's a loose plan of 22 years it's brought us 22 years of consistent success but it but I, and I, I look at Hugh and I, and I go to these meetings and I hear all the all the all the presentations and I certainly take away positives and every time I go to try to build a plan I, I get halfway there and then I, I reset but uh, it's just different styles and uh but i i think we all learn from being more organized than disorganized and i think EO teaches us that day in and day out you know and you asked a question earlier about the the pillars of our of our our board and to your point yes i'm still building my my plan for the year in fact we have a strategy meeting in january to set the foundation but i think if i had to pick the pillars that were important to me uh what's important to me is that we have um a very very competent learning program. I, I want to, you know, bring big name speakers back, mm. create learning content, things that people can remember. Kind of, you know, like I have, I have memories of events that happened seven, eight years ago that were spectacular, mm. and I hope we can get back to that as part of our agenda. As the chapter grows, we have bigger budgets to do those things.
1: Yeah, and as an experiential marketer, that would be your thing, yeah. Yeah. exactly. That's and then, and then thing. I also
0: I, I share Hugh's perspective greatly on foundation of membership, greater interaction with with the chapter. Uh, stronger reasons to be part of a community and and work hard on that. So that's the pillars, but there'll be a lot more coming out in the next uh, 30 days. Mm -hmm.
1: So you're my toughest case. You know, the CEO who's already been successful, and so you're trying to convince them to do a strategic plan. You're like, but I did my business plan on the back of a napkin, and I'm on the Inc. 500 list like five times. Why do I need to do Six, (laughs) actually. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'll take the correction. So (laughs) my question for you, Henry, is then, I mean, do you just not see a reason to plan or do you see any value in it? And this is an honest question because I am like, okay, what do I do with this guy? Like he's, you know
0: You know, no I think we all have to I think we have plans. The question is, is it formal or informal? I mean I up to bed every night and I wake up every morning thinking about what my plan is for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year and we and we have, you know, we have informal planning Beyond anyone's imagination, we we I have I know we I going to take the company. I know we need to do to get there. And the beauty of working on the business that have been in the business is I can I always say I can fly at ten thousand feet and look down. And I fly all day long at ten thousand feet over the organization, just looking at the the culture, the movement, the the moods, the attitude, the the client satisfaction, the successes. You can kind of drop in and see and feel things, and it just I think it's an innate skill you earn over the years of having done it for so long i've been in the business for 27 years so what happens is is the business plan albeit it's not formal with goals and objectives and and, and the, we call the b hag the big hairy audacious goals yeah. y- you know you you have all of those the question is is it on a tw- an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper or is it in your brain and I'm more the person, I guess it's in my brain than being formalized. But then the challenge becomes. I was just about to ask you. The challenge becomes communicating communicating it, communicating it down right. through the organization. Communicating other people. And that's the key. And 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 you know, I've got a and, and that's probably where, you know, instead of you know, we can probably double our business if I got to the point where I actually did that back. All right,
1: that's a quote.
0: And and, and Hugh's pointing that's at me here, Hugh's pointing Butter. at me here as a point. <laughs> and that's the key. You know, and I think that my management team's in lockstep with me, but in reality. Uh, they probably aren't as connected as they need to be. And so, you know, I think about that a lot. And I think that we, we could be better. We could always be better. But we could be better if we took that formalization step. But, you know, it's what it works, works. And you get caught up in making sure that your growth happens and your business is profitable. And, you know, we've built a business that's as good as anything in the business. And so, you know, but then you say to yourself, can we be better than the business? And, and that's where the challenge comes.
2: I think part of it also is it's not just uh – us as the leader holding our executives accountable, it's them holding each other accountable and so and then going down through the layers of the business and having to me having it in condensed into the one page plan means it's understandable and they can hold each other accountable. you know like one of the things that we're starting to discuss in our company and there will be some changes next year is which clients we take on and you know we're making some shifts in that where we're going a little bit more up 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 upper end and cutting down on what we do on the lower end. But that's something that relates back to, uh, you know, the one page business plan that's documented there. And they've got, if they're going to be successful with me, they've got to hold each other accountable for, for some of the clients we bring on. I can't, I can't mother that on everyone. And so having that plan there and it being really clear enables them to do that amongst themselves, because at the end of the day, they don't want to be mothered by the boss. They want to actually be empowered to do it. Great. Great. Great.
1: Well, thank you so much for that. This has been a great show. And, um, I'll close by asking if there's anything new and exciting happening at Next or DNA behavior that you think uh, our CEO, listener, guests should know about. And Henry, you want to take that one?
0: Sure. I think if you look at the reverting back to the business we're in, um, you know, I think the whole industry is becoming hyper-personal. And that's the difference. So you asked earlier about what why media is growing. We're about hyper-personal and, and the market's moving that direction. I think that that people want to be entertained. They want to learn in a place they feel comfortable. Uh, it's about data. So if you're if you're hyper personal, you learn about your customer, you you entertain them, you educate them, you capture data on them. You can continue to communicate with them. That's the success that we're going to see in the marketplace. And the companies that are doing that well will grow and will retain clients and over any competitor at any time. And and that's that's the secret sauce I think that we're seeing. And that's why Next Marketing is growing and that's why next marketing clients are happy, and that's why next client, cl- marketing clients' customers are, are engaged, and and that's the secret. Great.
2: One of the things that I learned recently being at an EO conference, and Vern Harnish was, was talking, and Henry you know, mentioned him before around scaling up, and when you look at, you know, a lot of businesses take 25 years to grow, but then you look at Facebook, LinkedIn, some of the newer businesses in, in today's age have grown exponentially very quickly, and it's, it's because they have actually a what's called a freemium business model where the consumer can come and do something for free. So like we all of us go and register at LinkedIn for free uh, and on Facebook, but then the businesses, there are businesses paying for the use of those data insights or for access to that platform. So one of the things we're going to be doing in DNA behavior, and we've built it uh, now to, to do it starting in, in January, is we've created a freemium model where our uh, you know, financial DNA, for example, profiling systems will be accessible to the consumer for free and they'll get a, an ability to interact with our, with our brand and touch it and to experience it. But the the banks and the wealth managers who, who use the platform behind it will nevertheless have to pay for the subscription service for for the data. So we've got to create a segmentation. So that for us, that's a significant model shift in that it should enable us to grow with a lot more uh, users on the platform and, um, and also, it's actually better for uh, the buyer of our services because there's more data points for them to buy.
1: So, you know, I as an individual investor, consumer person will be able to go on and find out if I'm loss averse or Correct. if I yep. um, you'll be able t- to go, uh, tend to be herd follower type person. Right, and, in January.
2: You'll be able to go and learn that and what to do with that. You won't get every data point, but you'll get, you know, some key nuggets, something that, that's what you can do. And then the idea would be to tell your financial advisor about it and make him or her buy our service. Got it. Got it. Very good.
1: Well, if uh, folks want to hear more about um, anything that we've talked about today or find out about EO, how can they do that, Henry?
0: Um, NextMarketing, www.nextmarketing.com is our website, which gives you all the insights into our our offering. Or you can certainly reach out to us in Atlanta. We're in Norcross, Georgia.
2: Great. And for DNA Behavior, you can go to uh, dnabehavior.com and and learn all about us. And as far as uh, EO is concerned, go to eoatlanta.com. It's a great website there.
1: Thank you guys for a great show.
0: This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.